Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The truth is, is that with this free agent pursuit and others, you know, very few people are aware of what's being discussed or what's going on on purpose. I think that like both all sides have kept it that way and I think it's going to stay that way. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. And always live on the free Odyssey app, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. And a wild and interesting week at the winter meetings down in Nashville. We're here for you to talk all about it and what is going on with Shohei Otani, what is not going on with Shohei Otani. We heard Jed Hoyer commenting right off the top about uh, the process. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of that and more here. It's Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score alongside Bruce Levine. I'm Mike Esposito, in for David this week, and Bruce, talk about a uh, a lot of mystery. People were following uh, Phantom Private Jets yesterday, and uh, all kinds of strangeness uh, surrounding the pursuit of one Shohei Otani. Mike, uh, Shohei Otani is actually in my living room right now, waiting to <laughs> We've uh, located decide. him. Still has not made a decision as to where he's going to go. Uh, Chicago, he's trying Chicago-style pizza first, and then he's... Uh, moving on (laughs) elsewhere but uh you know in reality mike uh it was a um a very poor day to be a media person yesterday okay it was an embarrassing day to be a media person yesterday with people all over the country uh via media via social media via twitter via via x whatever you want to call it right now uh, following a plane that uh, had nobody but a, an executive from a TV show uh, uh-huh. on it getting off from California to Toronto. And and honestly, um, those type of days make you wonder, you know, why I didn't uh, uh, go to law school and take and take the bar, <laughs> you know. Uh, it, it, you it, like it, baseball it, too much, that's why. Again, again, it was a thoroughly embarrassing day to listen to these reports about uh, Otani signing with the Toronto Blue Jays, about him being on a plane, about there was going to be a, uh, a uh, you know, a meeting to introduce him in Toronto. This is all just, and you know, the unfortunate part is this is uh, usually credible 
news sources and reporters that were reporting this. Uh, mm-hmm. J.P. Morosi reported uh, earlier in the day on Friday that uh, the signing was imminent. Okay, actually reported on Thursday that the signing of Otani was imminent and that uh, something would, done be, would be done before the weekend. Well, he, he might be right about that. The part that uh, he was on a plane and that he was going to Toronto, that part uh, probably didn't work out too well. So no. uh, w- this story has gotten you know blown out of proportion. And I, I understand it because, Mike, we're dealing with the Michael Jordan of uh, baseball right now. The Not just a sports star, but an international star at this point. And people are expecting results. They're expecting to hear him make his decision. We're expecting to hear that he will be getting somewhere between 500 and 600 million dollars uh, with uh, chances probably for 8, 10, 12 years in a contract with uh, opt-outs at certain points, uh, him being able to uh, re-monetize this at certain points after he's able to pitch again back and going toward 2025. These are all things that uh, you know we were expecting to hear in that basically held up the winter meetings for the uh, four days that we were there in Nashville, uh, the signing of Otani and the uh, unsuredness of uh, people looking at other players, other pitchers, other hitters that they didn't want to move on because they were waiting to see where Otani landed. And we are still at 9.05 in Chicago time on Saturday, uh, December the 9th, still waiting to hear where Otani's going to go. He is in your living room, though, so at least we've located him, and we're happy about that. He, and we'll he, see he hasn't where made he goes his decision there. yet, though. He has not <laughs> made his decision. We are broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And, Bruce, we certainly enjoyed your reports here on The Score and on Marquee uh, throughout the week in Nashville and lots of discussion, of course, about Otani and uh, the, the Cubs brass. We heard Jed Hoyer coming in. Uh, Craig Council also talking with reporters at his press conference earlier this week uh, was asked about the whole Otani recruitment and if he had met with Shohei Otani. Craig, have you guys met with Otani? And the reason I'm, this is in the context of Dave Roberts just described in detail their meeting. Um, have you guys met with him? I have not. So council following the protocol there, Bruce, uh, the 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 talk was, of course, you know, don't say much. We heard Dave Roberts during the week go into it. uh, Well, no, let's let's get the chronology right. Dave Roberts was talking at the same time that um, that uh, council was talking and on the other side of the room. Uh, talking to media. And at that time, he said, yes, we talked to uh, Otani. We had a two-hour meeting with him. It was great. Council Mm -hmm. on the other side was asked directly, as you just heard the soundbite, if he had met with Otani, not whether the Cubs had met with Otani. So he said personally he had not met with Otani. He had not, yep. Right, okay. Yep. So let's be be clear on that. Uh, He was not speaking for Jed Hoyer or uh, anybody else in the Cub organization. So it was uh, it was an interesting um, thing to look at because, you you know, we were getting people walking over from Dave Roberts talking about him uh, meeting with him to where 
Hoyer, where um, counsel was talking to us, speaking about the fact that indeed uh, he hadn't met him. So that was a red flag, Mike, because you would think that if the Chicago Cubs had met with Shohei Otani, that the manager of the team might have been involved at some point in the meetings. Um, what the Cubs have done extremely well, better than most, maybe better than all the other teams, they, they've kept this ex- tremendously secretive and quiet, okay? Yep. So there's, there's no alluding to what Hoyer or uh, the Chicago Cubs talked to Otani about. We know they had meetings. We know they met. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know what was said. So all we know is that when Bob Nightingale on Wednesday reported that the Cubs were out of it and that they were mm-hmm. no longer in the mix, it was a surprise to Jed Hoyer when we talked to him saying uh, he wouldn't talk about the process other than confirming that uh, the Cubs had not been told one way or the other whether they were in or out of it, Okay. So that information, you know, blew up. Then the information about Nightingale talking to Hoyer blew up um, Mm -hmm. uh, with the assumption that he was talking to Nightingale, Mike, about the fact that his report on Otani was wrong. In, In reality, that was not the case. Hoyer was talking to Nightingale about a report that um, Glasnow was going to be traded to the Cubs for Christopher Morrell. And uh, Hoyer was talking to him in a very short conversation, telling him, you know, Morrell's name has never come up in talking to uh, Tampa. He didn't allude to the fact he was talking to Tampa. He just said the name had never come up. So a lot of, a lot of odd reporting, a lot of different things uh, being assumed that weren't uh, assumed. And now still sitting here without any knowledge about where Otani is going to go. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I know fans are frustrated. I know we've been talking about it uh, on the score this past week with uh, your reporting and then uh, with everything else going on. You mentioned the uh, Morosi reports yesterday. Fans are, of course, excited and interested to see where this lands. 312-644-6767. We'd love to hear your Otani thoughts on uh, the Cubs, and if he ends up here, or does he go to Toronto? What, what's your take? Do you want him um, uh, to be here, of course, uh, or are you looking for the Cubs to move in other directions? As it looked like, I, we already had the, you know, people kind of lamenting the fact that the Cubs had missed out on him yesterday when it looked like he was headed to Toronto. And as we talked about already, those reports not exactly true. Uh, so we get to relive the whole thing again. Uh, Bruce, one thing that. Uh, we found very interesting yesterday, former Cubs skipper Joe Madden was on with Parkins and Spiegel, and he, of course, had Otani when Madden was the manager of the Angels. So Joe Madden, who we, we always enjoy talking to, talked yesterday with Parkins and Spiegel, what he thinks Otani is looking for in a team. Uh, the opportunity to win and to create, uh, to, to really, I guess, how shall I say, uh, further his legacy. Um, some place that he could call home for a long period of time, a place he feels comfortable uh, environmentally with the people um, around in the neighborhood, um, a sense of feeling safe. I think all that stuff matters to him. I don't know that it's as important to him to be on the, the West Coast as it was when he originally signed the proximity to Japan. I think at that point, there's a comfort 
kind of a thing. But now he's uh, pretty much dominated the United States, and he knows what it's like to play in New York. He knows what it's like to start an all-star game. He knows as a pitcher and as a hitter. So he's uh, overcome a lot of the different uh, maybe trepidations he had walking into it. So I think he's checked a lot of boxes. So I think the entire league is open to him. Um, so uh, that to me is where I see he's at. Um, is Chicago viable? It, pro- it, it is, but I think honestly, uh, the weather might be a detriment early in the season. The wind may may play in this, and this guy's going to consider everything. And so is his um, representation. That was Joe Madden yesterday, Bruce. Joe Madden yesterday on Parkins and, C- and Spiegel's show, and uh, it was a great interview. You know, if you have time, you know, go to our website and listen to the the whole uh, interview. It went on for a long time, and it was really in depth. But, Mike, uh, the reality is is that um, we don't know, nobody seems to know exactly what Otani wants. Is Toronto a great city for him? Uh, does it have, uh, you know, everything you want in a city just like Chicago or L.A.? Yeah, absolutely. It's a terrific city. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there, Mike, but terrific have, yep. city. It, yep. It's, uh, you know, it's an international city. It's... it's uh, it's a great restaurant city. So, you know, from all those things, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in Toronto. I still won't be surprised if he ends up in L.A. I won't be surprised if he uh, ends up in Chicago, okay? It's not out of the realm of possibility that he's still a Chicago Cub. Uh, does that mean that the Cubs have stopped their offseason totally and have uh, – uh, just put everything on hold waiting for him? No. Uh, the one thing that we did learn at the winter meetings was, you know, they certainly are in on pitchers like uh, Glass now from uh, Tampa. They will certainly <clears throat> revisit Cody Bellinger and his free agency now that the Yankees have been taken out of the mix after the yep. Juan Soto trade. Uh, now uh, the, the Cubs might be at the forefront of bringing Bellinger back. You know, they need a left-handed hitting center fielder, middle-of-the-order hitter, very desperately. So does Seattle. So did the Yankees. So now, uh, you know, having talked to uh, Scott Boros, you know, at the meetings, you know, they certainly, um, he certainly has a refocus on the Chicago Cubs with his players. Just just think about this. He has Bellinger. That's one of his uh, free agents. He has uh, Matt Chapman. That's another. Mm-hmm. He has Reese Hock- Hoskins. That's another. Mm-hmm. They're, they're mm-hmm. all being mentioned, and they're all positions where the Chicago Cubs have needs. Okay, Chapman, yep. a not just a, a Gold Glove, but a Platinum Glove uh, Gold winner in um, at third base. Hoskins, after a year off with Philadelphia because of recovering from an injury, is a uh, slug first baseman. Bellinger, of course. Uh, is in the mix without a question. So, uh, and then he has people who haven't been traded uh, out there as well, like Soto, who went to the Yankees, had one year left on a contract. And uh, you have uh, Alonzo with the Mets, one year left, is also a, a um, Scott Boros client. So all these players have been connected in the offseason so far with the Chicago Cubs. Yep, and you were right there at his at his uh, press conference there in Nashville. We'll play some sound about uh, Boris and Bellinger and the Cubs later on in the program. And you mentioned all of those guys would be 
uh, nice fits. Uh, we talked about Hoskins last week as a potential first baseman, but uh, Otani is the biggest domino, and until he falls, uh, the other big pieces will will wait, and we'll uh, keep on top of that with you at 312-644-6767. Our first caller of the show, Bruce, in Glencoe, we have Mike on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, fellas. Um, I, Bruce, I'm very interested in your views and the views of our other Sox fan callers to inside the clubhouse. I personally felt that Jerry Reinsdorf's reported meeting with the Nashville mayor was one of the most extraordinary insults in a career of insults that Mr. Reinsdorf made to the Sox fandom. He had to know that that would be publicly reported. And the only message a Sox fan could basically take was, screw you guys. I can give you a 101-loss team. I can give you a totally inexperienced general manager. I can give you a totally inexperienced manager. You can take it. And you know what? I'm going to move my team to Nashville, or I'm going to threaten it. And you just can't, you know. In my mind, Bruce, it was the most tactless, thoughtless uh, action that Reinsdorf could ever make. And I just can't figure out his motives. Because the, the leverage play doesn't work anymore in today's municipal world. He's not going to be able to leverage Mayor Johnson or the state. What was he thinking? What was he doing? And what should Sox fans take from it? Well, I, I believe that Jerry Reinsdorf wants the Chicago White Sox to stay in Chicago forever. Uh, again, if you compare it to what you're hearing with the Chicago Bears, it's no different. Okay. Are you upset with the Chicago Bears by leveraging Chicago Bears out of Soldier Field and into the suburbs? Now, the latest reports this week is that the Bears are now considering sites in Chicago if they're going to be offered on the lakefront. So, again, this is not about uh, an insult to the fans, Mike, and, and I understand your feelings and I'm, I, I, I understand your thoughts especially with what else has been going on with the Chicago White Sox over the past year. But this is just a common business leverage. It's not about uh, him threatening to move uh, and, and, and threatening the fans that he's going to move. The contract with the Illinois Sports Authority that uh, actually runs and owns uh, the uh, guaranteed rate stadium is uh, up in 2028. So we have a long way to go. The idea that uh, it takes a long time to build a new stadium and that uh, that has to start two or three years in advance, that's a reality. I think the White Sox will stay in Chicago. I don't think it'll necessarily might be at guaranteed rate at at that site any longer. I believe the White Sox need a new site, okay? I don't think that's a proper site for them any longer. I think downtown or in the suburbs – is exactly where the Chicago White Sox would be. And uh, this would be a, a step toward alerting people that, uh, again, if the Illinois Sports Authority uh, is not interested in having them there anymore, that Jerry uh, has a um, he has a responsibility to the other owners on that team and uh, the, the fans of Chicago to find another venue for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, and to Mike's uh, point, I don't think this is anything outside of normal business, right? Plenty of years left yeah. on this, Bruce. I mean, and is anybody upset with the Bears going to the suburbs? 
I think a lot of that, right? It's it's transparently, uh, you know, everyone can see through there. You know what they're doing. They're trying to build interest. They're trying to right. make it where Arlington Heights isn't the only option for them I, to give. I them will. Some I will say there, this, right? Mike. If I'm a White Sox fan, I understand your angst. The team was lousy. They they uh, a favored broadcaster left. Okay. Yep. You know, and Jason Benetti leaving. Uh, you don't feel like you have much hope for 2024. But uh, again, you know, life moves on. The business moves on. Uh, they're, they're doing their best they can to recover from what was um, a disaster for them over the last two years. And we will talk plenty of White Sox. They actually did make a signing at the winter meetings. We'll talk about that. We'll hear from Chris Getz. We will talk uh, on-the-field White Sox stuff uh, throughout the show as well. Uh, We will be joined at the bottom of the hour by new Hall of Famer Jim Leland. Buck Martinez from Blue Jays TV will join us at the top of the 10 o'clock hour as well. So we have a great show coming up for you. Let's sneak on one more call before we break. Uh, Ron from the South Side is up next on Inside the Clubhouse. Hey, Ron, good morning. Hey, hey, good morning, guys. Yeah, we come to the call of Mike. I didn't even read the story. I understood what that was. This team is um, going to be irrelevant for the next couple of years. And like you said, Bruce, what will it be? What, 26 or 20, whatever. That's probably about the time that team will even be good. So that that's what concerns me. And you know what? At this point, with me, guys, if the White Sox leave, then so be it. But I want to get... Because I'm more of yeah, – I'm a Sox fan, but I love the game. So I wanted to um, talk about what you mentioned, Bruce. It not only was it very frustrating for a reporter, but for the fans. And certainly I understand the magnitude of the signing over Otani. But there's some other free agents out there. So just in terms of, of the game, like I said, I get I – actually, I, still, I believe he's going to go to the Dodgers. But it, it, it is a little frustrating, you know, this – time of the year, you want some uh, action to be occurring, baseball conversation. So from, from from that point, I will be glad wherever he goes, you know, and so we can count it. Because there's some other good free agents out there. I have the list of them. So that's it. I just wanted to uh, agree with you just as a, a, a baseball fan. It's really just a, a little difficult when the whole sports is just caught up with this one player. And again, I understand the importance of it. So thanks guys. Thanks Ron. Thanks Ron. Yeah, Ron, we, we we're with you and and the Otani thing. It's fun at, at at the same time, it's frustrating. And I think, you know, Bruce, we talked about some of the reporting uh, from yesterday and, you know, guys are out there trying to, uh, to dig up some stuff and, if Otani is uh, keeping the cards uh, as close to the as his vest as he is, it's hard to find those things if he's not saying anything, right? Well, you know, I I, I listen to our station a lot. I listen to MLB uh, radio as well all day long, and I've I've never heard such um, inept way of doing radio. And these most of the people there are, are outstanding at what they do, but. The, the whole day of following a flight and giving uh, time <laughs> updates throughout the whole thing of when it's going to land. And just, you know, it, you know, it's just, you know, it, it was just a difficult day as a reporter to, to understand how over-reported and how inaccurate everything was yesterday. 
Yeah, it was a tough one. Uh, we will talk more about free agency, the winter meetings, recap some of the moves that did happen, including the White Sox signing, the Soto trade, uh, what's going on on both sides of town. But when we return, Bruce, to Inside the Clubhouse, we are thrilled to be joined by the newest Baseball Hall of Famer, Jim Leland, will join us when we return. Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito, it's Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. People get in the Hall of Fame every year. You know, people say, that's great. That's great. You did a great job. People love this guy. It's it's amazing how how well, really how well loved he is. And so, you know, and I, I know how many people were on pins and needles you know, we're counting votes ahead of time. And uh, so it was a great, great sigh of relief when he made it. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse. Let's see what the Cubs and Sox are doing in the offseason on Sports Radio 670 The Score and always live on the free Odyssey app. And this is Inside the Clubhouse. That was Jerry Reinsdorf coming back talking about the Hall of Fame election of our next guest, Bruce, who joins us on the Score Hotline presented by Circa Sports Illinois, home of the world's largest sports book. It gives me great pleasure, Mike, to say welcome in Jim Leland, Hall of Famer, to Inside the Clubhouse. Jim, good morning. What a great sound that has. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate that. Uh, very thrilled. Like I said, uh, Elated to be on the ballot and ecstatic to to get in. So it was a, a shock to me, to be honest with you, a little bit. But uh, I made it. Very fortunate. And, you know, this is a place that's very difficult to get in, and you don't get there alone, that's for sure. Showing people what Jim Leland is all about, as far as detail goes, is going to be the beginning of my introduction to you, Jim. You had 294 texts, many phone calls. Within a day and a half, you got back to everybody, including myself, thanking them for the congratulations, being uh, humbled by this situation, appreciating our friendship. Uh, I think that really shows an awful lot about why you were good at what you did. I, I don't know if you, if, you, if you went into the shoe business, you would have been the best shoe salesman and best owner of a shoe store. Uh, I think that detail is something that really stood out about you when I watched you go about your work and working with people every day to try to win baseball games. Your thoughts? Well, I I think, to be honest with you, I learned something from Sparky Anderson way, way back, many, many years ago. And Sparky told me one time, I don't care who calls you, 
a writer, whoever it may be, and I don't care where they're from. They could be from the smallest town in Ohio uh, or the biggest city somewhere, but you you get back to them no matter what. You always make sure that you get back to them, and I always remembered that. And uh, it took me a long time the other day, but I did get back to everybody. Uh, I might have erased one accidentally. I'm not I'm not sure, but I either called or, or texted everybody back that reached out to me because uh, this, like I said, you don't get there alone. This is something that you share with people, and people were kind enough to send out the, the congratulations. So, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, it's, it's not anything above the call of duty. That's just what you do. Jim, uh, one of the most fun things for me uh, in in viewing your election is seeing the reaction of guys, and I'm not sure if you're on Twitter or any of the other social media, but plenty of your former players I saw Justin Verlander wrote a really nice uh, uh, item on Twitter, not only congratulating you, but they were just genuinely thrilled because of how they felt about you. I mean, that has to be, I mean, that's why you do it, right? I mean, you, you're in there to, to bond with your players and win games, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, part of not getting in there alone, obviously, the, it's the biggest part. I mean, I'm in, I'm going to be in the Hall of Fame because of the players. It's that simple. Well, we all know that. I mean, that's the... Those are the people that make the game go around. Those are the people that entertain the fans, and uh, they're great players. I've, I've had some absolute great players uh, in my time. I've also had a bunch of minor league players when I managed in the minor leagues that never made it to text me. So, you know, it was a complete roster of guys that reached out to me, and, you know, from the biggest superstars to the kid that I released in A-ball, you know, and broke his heart. Uh, you know, it was very touching. You were a three-sport star in high school. You went on to a big league career, I mean a minor league career as a catcher, didn't make it, got into coaching. At what point, Jim, did you know that you were going to be a good manager? I mean, you spent a lot of time in the minor leagues managing before you got your first big league coaching job with the Chicago White Sox in the early 80s. But at what point did you say, you know what? I'm going to be really good at this, and uh, and I'm I'm probably going to be able to do this for a career. Well, I don't know that I ever got that far, but I think what <laughs> happened to me was I started out rookie league and A ball, and and then to double A, and then didn't do a good job, got sent back to A ball, and then the next time I I missed double A, and they sent me to triple A, and when I got to triple A and started managing against guys like Lee, Tony Larusa, Jack McKeon. Uh, several others that, you know, managed the big leagues or were going to manage the big leagues, uh, I felt like maybe I got a chance to be a coach. I still wasn't sure I was ever going to get a chance to manage, but I felt like, well, you know, if you can hold your own with these guys, maybe you at least got a chance to be a coach in the big leagues. Unfortunately, uh, you know, Tony went to the White Sox in the middle of 1979 when he was at Des Moines and I was at Evansville. And a couple of years later when he needed a third base coach, I believe Bobby Winkle went to the front office. Uh, Tony gave me the call, and that was the start. But I've said this all along. Tony LaRusso didn't make me a manager, but he definitely made me a major league manager. Yeah, and, and I was just going to ask you about that too, Jim, because I know a lot of our Chicago fans will remember you very fondly from that stretch with the White Sox uh, in the early 80s and certainly and especially the uh, the 1983 winning ugly White Sox. What, what are your best memories of that team and, and uh, as a third base coach and – uh, LaRusso's right-hand man there. I'm sure you have uh, lots of uh, of good uh, memories there. Yeah, well, that 83 team was just a, a just a, a terrific, terrific baseball team. There's no question about that. We had some youth. We had some veterans. 
you know, like Lozinski and Kuzman and guys like that, you know, Rudy Law, we had Walker and Kittle, the young guys come up. So it was a great combination. Roland Heeman and Jerry Reinsdorf did a good job of, of really putting that team together and everything just clicked, you know, uh, Richard Dotson and Britt Burns, Floyd Bannister. I mean, uh, Lamar Hoyt obviously pitched a great game in the first playoff game. So that was just a very talented team. And, and it really, from a selfish standpoint, it really helped me because all of a sudden the White Sox were getting a lot of attention in 83. So uh, I think my name got out there a little bit more because of the fact that the, the, the guys were getting so much attention. And that was really a springboard into my uh, managerial career because I I believe I got a couple interviews right after that season. So uh, that definitely was a huge, huge factor uh, in my getting my opportunity to manage the big leagues. Jim, you, you won a World Series with uh, the Florida Marlins in 1997. You had great teams go to the World Series with Detroit. You had great teams in Pittsburgh. But my thoughts are the thing that really solidified everything for you was coming back in 2017, taking Team USA to their first ever World Baseball Classic Championship. That must have been uh, unbelievably satisfying to you and gratifying uh, to be able to, to lead that team to the uh, our country's first uh, WBC championship. Yeah, you know, a lot of people asked me if they thought that that had anything to do with my election, and I, I can't say for sure, but I think there's a possibility that it did. I, I, I kind of agree with you. I'm not really sure, and I've said all along, that was probably the worst, best job I've ever had in my life because, <laughs> uh, you know, you're dealing with everybody else's players, you know, and players on big contracts in some cases. Um, you're asking players to amp up a little bit. Uh, early, you know, it's early in spring training when that thing starts. You're just into spring training. So you're really paranoid about getting somebody's player hurt, let, let alone your own, uh, if you have any of your own players. But, uh, you know, that, I wasn't managing at the time, so that was a little bit different. But still, you have that pressure on you. I mean, you get calls that, you know, my guy can only pitch one inning or so many pitches tonight. And, you know, you have a lot of conversations with people. But, it turned out that Joe Torrey did a fantastic job of putting that team together. He's the guy that really went out and did all the legwork to get most of the players. I helped very little, but, uh, it, you know, some people were saying, well, you didn't get the star players. You didn't get the most attractive players. Well, I don't know whether we did it or we didn't, but at the same time, I never saw a group in my life, uh, all the years I managed, which is 33 counting the minors, I never saw a team come together in a sh- the shortest period of time like that team did. They were on a mission from the first day we had a practice until we won the final game against Puerto Rico. It was unbelievable. Very close-knit group that was going to compete against each other uh, a few days later. But uh, I've never seen a group come together like that. We're talking to Jim Leland, newest member of the Baseball Hall of Fame, longtime big league manager. He's our guest here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. Uh, and Jim, uh, you mentioned your time in the minor leagues as a manager. We have a lot of guys now getting hired right out of their playing career to manage in the big leagues. I'm not asking you to say one is better than the other, but can you tell us uh, a little bit about what you learned spending those times working your way up uh, in the minor leagues before you got uh, tapped as the White Sox third base coach in 82? Interesting question, and I, I talk about this a lot. Uh, there are several people that went from a playing career right to a major league manager, and they've done a good job. I certainly, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They proved that the, some guys proved that they can handle it. Some guys have maybe struggled a little bit, but for me, 
uh, managing the minor leagues all those years was very beneficial. First of all, I wasn't a big league player, but managing the minor leagues all those years was very beneficial to me because I believe when you manage 11 years in the minors, there's really not much you don't see. And when you've never managed before, regardless of how good you are, I think there's probably going to be some situations come up that you haven't seen before. So you could be a little bit surprised. And like I said, I, I those guys have been great. Don't get me wrong. A lot of them are friends of mine. But I just think that my experience, for me, it was the most important way to go. Of course, it didn't make any difference because I wasn't a big league player anyway, so I had to do it that way. But for me, I think it's very beneficial if you have some managerial experience under your belt. I'm not saying, obviously, 11 years, but I think it's very beneficial if you have some managerial experience under your belt. Jim Leland, the newest Hall of Famer, joining us in Inside the Clubhouse. We're pleased to have Jim on today. And when you look at uh, Craig Council, a guy that you managed with the Florida Marlins uh, back in 1997, uh, when you look at him and his career, are, are you surprised that um, a player like that ended up being a big league manager? What are your thoughts on uh, Council the manager, Council the player? Well, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, you could tell that this guy – I believe he played for Murphy at Notre Dame when he came out. You know, he had a good feel for the game uh, when he first came out. I'm sure he was with the Rockies at the time. We made a trade for him. But, no, I'm not surprised at all. This guy was a very, very student of the game. He's very bright. He's got great people skills, you know, just an intelligent guy. So I'm, I'm not shocked at all. I, I couldn't be happier for him. I, I think that, uh, you know, the Cubs made a great decision, and uh, I think he did too. I think it's a perfect spot for him. And, uh, you know, he's going to be under a little bit of pressure this year and in the next few years, obviously. But uh, Craig's the type of guy that can handle that, you know. And he, was, he wasn't he was a great player. We all know that. But he was the type of player that never made mistakes. If you asked him to get a bunt down, he got it down. If you needed him to make the routine double play, he made the routine double play. You know, if you needed him to tag up in the right situation, he tagged up in the right situation. He was just a, He was just a very instinctive player that wasn't as gifted maybe as some of the other players, but he turned out having a great career. Jim, I won't put you on the spot and ask you who the the greatest player that you ever had uh, as a skipper was. You've had lots of them, but what names pop out to you? I mean, you have had such a long career in baseball from your playing days all the way through your managing days, and now what what handful of names pop out as as the best guys that you had? Well, you know, Bonds and Drabeck's, kind of stand out in Pittsburgh, obviously. Uh, Florida, you had you know you had Sheffield, uh, you had Kevin Brown, you had L. Leiter. Uh, Colorado, this is kind of ironic. Uh, if Todd Helton gets in this year, uh, he'll be joining Larry Walker and myself, two people with with the Rockies at one time. So uh, you know, on and on and on. Detroit, of course, Miguel Cabrera, uh, Maglio Ordonez, Placido Polanco. Uh, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, I could go on and on and on. Uh, you know, I've just been blessed to have so many great players. But, you know, I in my heart, I feel just as good to have had the other players because it's all about one heartbeat and a team. And I think there is also a fine line between enough stars and one too many. So, um, you know, I think that uh, I'm appreciative of all the players I ever had, and that, that includes the minor league players. Jim, in closing, I will say this. Uh, I became very friendly with a lot of your players that were the 25th men at that time on your roster. 
and the, uh, the Tom Prince's and the, the Gary Varshows all felt just as included as the Bonds and the Van Slykes and the people like that on your teams because of your style, because of the way that you, uh, you, you allowed them to get the very best out of their ability and not asking them to do things they couldn't do. Might that be one of the, the big secrets or the big the, the best things for managers is to understand the limitation of their players and don't ask them to do things they can't? Well, that's definitely true. And I think uh, I always liked it when the 24th or 25th player on the team got a winning hit once in a while and the cameras were on him after the game instead of the Stars every night. And certainly the Stars deserved that. But when you have something like that going, like with the Donnie Kellys and the Cangelosis and the John Wainers, when that stuff happens, it really bonds your team together. I think everybody gets a big kick out of it. You know, it's kind of their day. Gary Varshow in Chicago one day put on a show I'll never forget. Uh, you know, against the Cubs. So uh, when those guys are getting the attention once in a while, it does nothing but really helps your team as far as, you know, the chemistry, the motivation, you know, the closeness, whatever it may be. Those things are really, really important. One more thing, and that is uh, your relationship with with Jerry Reinsdorf and how important that's been for you. And I know how important it's been for him throughout your career. Well, just a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, he and Roland Heeman and Tony Russo gave my first opportunity. I'm very fortunate that uh, my son, Patrick, manages in the White Sox organization right now. Uh, he couldn't be in better hands. I think Chris Guest is going to do a good job. But Jerry, uh, I didn't know Jerry Reinsdorf from Adam when I went to the White Sox. But over the years, uh, we have become best of friends, to be honest with you. And, and I owe Jerry a lot, and I'll never, I'll never forget him. Jim, congratulations to you, Katie, Patrick, your daughter. Uh, fantastic holiday season. Enjoy that. Look forward to next July when I hopefully can be there and watch you inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame. Thanks so much for the well, time today. And I your hope you do, Bruce. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Take care. Jim Leland of the Hall of Fame. Uh, it's nice to be able to say, and uh, what a great guy. What a great baseball person, Mike. Absolutely. Great to talk to Jim and truly talking to baseball history there. He's he's been in the game for 60 some odd years, Bruce, as a player and as a manager. We have to take a time out. When we return, we will talk White Sox and what they did and did not do at the winter meetings over the past week. That's when we return. And then Buck Martinez from Blue Jays TV will join us at the top of the hour. This is Inside the Clubhouse. Bruce Levine, Mike Esposito on 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse. Let's see what the Cubs and Sox are doing in the offseason on Sports Radio 670 The Score and always live on the free Odyssey app. And we are back Inside the Clubhouse on The Score. It was great to talk to Jim Leland, the new Hall of Famer just now. Bruce, and uh, one of the topics that came up right before we uh, were joined by Jim Leland was the Jerry Reinsdorf uh, meeting with the mayor of Nashville, which was reported and confirmed uh, throughout the winter meetings there that uh, neither said was much of a big deal, but naturally it's stirring the pot here with White Sox fans. Yeah, I mean, I think the White Sox are pretty much in a no-win situation right now, continuing to do business. Uh, just the, the way that the uh, the last two seasons have uh, collapsed so severely, the organization has gone through a uh, 
a, a, a change, a total change at the top with Kenny Williams and uh, Rick Hahn being replaced by Chris Getz. Uh, veteran players being traded at the deadline. Their, the entire pitching staff was traded at the deadline in uh, August, on August 1st. And now the rebuild that they don't want to call a rebuild. It's a rebuild, uh-huh. okay? Yep. But it doesn't have to take five years. And I think that's the, the one area that wasn't addressed yet by White Sox officials. And also the fact that uh, playing baseball at guaranteed rate uh, might be antiquated to this point. Uh, that ballpark is still a great ballpark, but it's probably in the wrong area of town right now. I would think a downtown location for the Chicago White Sox is the next place to go in order to get the attention of the mayor, get attention of uh, people in the suburbs as to where the White Sox will probably end up. Uh, They must listen to everything and everyone, including this discussion they had in Nashville. So uh, it's just good business. I don't think the White Sox are ever going to move. I don't think they want to move. But this is just the way you go about business. No different uh, than the Chicago... Bears talking to Arlington Heights about a stadium, still talking to Chicago about a stadium. I understand that's not moving out of the Chicagoland area. I don't think the Chicago White Sox will ever end up in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, and if you recall way back when uh, when the Tampa rumblings were, were happening back in the late 80s uh, and then into uh, when they decided to stay and they're at uh, guaranteed rate field now. But, you know, I know the South Loop was mentioned. You mentioned downtown. I mean, th- those would have been prime locations if you can picture, and I know you probably can't now because it's all residential, but a South Loop White Sox stadium, can you have everything right there within walking distance? That would be quite a coup. You know, there's nothing wrong with Orland Park, Tinley Park, uh, or um, Rosemont either, okay? Yep. There's a lot of great areas in Chicagoland. Uh, be, them being the South Siders, they'll always be known as the South Siders. They don't have to play in a South Side ballpark. Their fan base and new fan base will follow them. It's a uh, great team that's been in uh, the major leagues for 122 years. It's going to continue to be a Chicago team, Mike. That's good to hear. Certainly, we will see how all the stadium stuff plays out. We'll also listen in on Chris Getz, uh, the team's general manager from the winter meetings. We'll have some sound on him and and the trades he made and did not make uh, going forward. We will listen to Chris Getz later on in the show, Bruce. But when we return, we will continue our pursuit of the elusive Otani news and find out what's going on up in Toronto, where a lot of the rumors were centralized yesterday. Buck Martinez, longtime baseball guy and Blue Jays television broadcaster, will join us next. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Mike Esposito. In for David, this is Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 